0: Thank you for downloading this episode of Pardes Live and mini-series featuring Shmuel Rosner. For more digital content, please visit elmod.pardes.org. To get more information or buy tickets for the Sydney and Miriam Brettler Memorial Series, Women in the Wilderness, Four Narratives of Spiritual Power with Dr. Aviva Zornberg, please contact ce.pardes.org.il.
1: We're delighted to welcome uh, Shmuel Rasna here this evening um, who is a fellow at the Jewish People Policy Institute and an author and a columnist, author of his book, which he has in front of him, Israeli Judaism, his new book, and a columnist at the New York Times and at Ma'ariv. Um, I've already had a chance to hear him. This is our uh, fourth lecture in our series on complex identities in Israeli society And I have to say, it's really been a fascinating opportunity to hear about such a diverse set of topics. Whether we heard in our first lecture about conversion, whether we heard about um, Israeli Arabs and their complex identity, um, hearing about the notion of Nusach and prayer rites as a reflection of whether we are separate communities, or whether we are one. And now this evening, we're going to hear about how Israelis reinvent Judaism. And I I don't think I'm going to add any words because I think Shmuel can tell it much better than I can. So without further ado, uh, Shmuel Rosner. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for coming. I expected maybe five people, so Uh, it's it's good. It's good to see you all. as, as you understand, I'm the, uh, probably the oldest person in the room, and also the one with the least, uh, um, with the worst accent, so I apologize for this. And I'd like to begin with a story. Um, this book that I'm going to talk about, and the research behind it, was done uh, by, by two people, not just by me. Uh, my uh, colleague in this work is Professor Camille Fuchs, whom you might know from... Uh, television as a pollster of uh, uh, political affairs. My wife now calls him the, the man who got it right twice. Uh, he will have his next opportunities this coming March, and he is not looking forward to it, uh, I must tell you. So, so the story about Camille connects to, uh, to the holiday that just ended, Hanukkah. We just uh, had the last day of Hanukkah yesterday. And our story with Hanukkah begins two years ago when we conducted the vast study of uh, uh, habits, practices, um, um, beliefs, and ideals of Israeli Jews. And one of the things that we decided to do early on is to uh, focus mostly on practices, to look at what people do rather than what they believe or what they say, Because we believe that in many cases, actions speak louder than words. So we took took the calendar, we looked at almost every date in the calendar, and we asked ourselves, do we have questions on this date? Um, And we asked questions about Rosh Hashanah, and what comes after Rosh Hashanah? No, it's Om Gedalia. So we ask questions about Tzom Gedalia and then about Yom Kippur and the first day of Sukkot and Cholamoet Sukkot and Simchat Torah and Memorial Day for Rabin and Sigd the Ethiopian holiday and um, Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's and uh, Halloween and and Valentine's Day and we compared we com- we are the the first researchers who can compare the people in Israel who celebrate Valentine's versus Tu Be'av. Because we have two, you know, um, women in Israel, if they are lucky, they get flowers twice. If they are unlucky, they'll get no flower. Uh, We didn't ask about Thanksgiving because we felt that Thanksgiving is is truly American. It's not something that... um, that is part of any culture within Israel. But there are people in Israel who do use uh, Valentine's Day as an opportunity to buy jewelry or flowers, etc. We we did think that uh, New Year's is an interesting date, and we tested New Year's compared to Novigod, the Russian version of New Year's uh, that many people celebrate. So anyway, for for Hanukkah, of course, we had many questions At each holiday, we looked at the holiday or the event. We said, okay, what do we want to know about this event? And for Hanukkah, we asked questions about latkes and about sufganiot and about dreidels and about gelt and about all the things that you can imagine about children going to a a children's festival because that's something that people do here for Hanukkah and about people who go and travel either in Israel or abroad in Hanukkah. And of course, we asked about lighting the candles in Hanukkah. And we didn't just ask, do you light candles? We asked two questions. Do you light candles every night of the eight-day holiday or just a few nights or not at all? And then we got the results. Uh, Our survey included more than 400 questions and it's a vast survey of more than 3000 people who are the representative sample of all israeli jews you you might know that uh, um, a traditional israeli survey is about 500 people for 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 a political polling they usually do 500 to 800 people we asked we had 3000 people in four uh, uh, Jews in our survey because we wanted to be able to look at subgroups and not all only at the uh, at the general response so anyway for Hanukkah we asked about lighting candles and we had the response and we started looking at the response and there was something weird about it because when we combined the number of people or the percentage of people who light candles every night and those who only light candles some nights, we got to 150 15 percent <laughs> lighting candles on Hanukkah, which is desirable, but yeah, impossible. <laughs> so we said, okay, this doesn't make sense. We have to look at this line by line to make sure we got everything right. And we looked at the numbers one by one, and we corrected all the... Obviously, there were people who just, in case, to make sure to emphasize the fact that they truly light candles whenever they can. They, they marked both every day and some, and some days. And after cleaning up all the data, we said, okay, so what's the number now? And we looked at it, and it was 100%. And I said to Professor Fuchs, which I call Camille, I said, Camille, this is imp- it's impossible. There must be someone in our survey of 3,004 people who did not light candles this Hanukkah. We went back to the survey and looked again, line by line by line. And at the end we said, okay, uh, I said, okay, I guess this is it. We found no person who doesn't like Hanukkah candles. And Camille looked at me somewhat embarrassingly and raised his hand. <laughs> it's a true story. True story, and I can tell you, the, 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 uh, the happy ending of this story is that last Wednesday, Camille called me and said, you know what I did last night? <laughs> he was at a friend's house, and they let him lit the candles. So this year, I can say we are probably really at 100% of Israeli Jews who light candles at least some nights. Okay, that's the, that's the story. That's astounding. That's astounding, and I'll, I'll go back to it. Now let me step back and, and begin at the beginning. Again, two years ago, it was... Uh, The 69th birthday of Israel, or slightly later, we decided that it was probably time for us to look at Israeli Judaism and see what it is. Uh, We were getting closer to the 70th anniversary of Israel. Um, We had a meeting at the Jewish People Policy Institute where I work, and I said, okay, 70 years, it's a long time, and it's probably enough us ...to begin look at the ways two things impact one another. One is the ancient tradition that we call Judaism. It's, well, whether it's 3,500 years ago or uh, 3,000 or 2,500 years ago, it started a long time ago. It's an ancient tradition... But 70 years ago, for the first time, this ancient tradition met a wholly new modern reality. For the first time ever, Judaism was the dominant culture of a modern, secular, fairly liberal state of the then 20th century. And we figured that something must happen when an ancient tradition meets a new reality. There must be some sort of adaptation, mutual adaptation. The tradition must adapt itself to this new reality, and this new reality must make room for the old tradition. And our aim, as we started our long, uh, many long months of research, our aim was to, try and find the, uh, the ways in which these two features impact one another. What the state does to the culture, what the culture does to or the tradition does to the state. So this, this was the things that we looked at initially. This is what we wanted to say, to look at. And as I said, we decided to look mostly at practices. We also asked, Jewish Israelis about their beliefs and their ideas and many other things but most of the vast majority of questions was about practices and we started with Rosh Hashanah as I said we have about 10 questions for Rosh Hashanah do you eat apple and honey do you go to a synagogue do you go to a synagogue just to hear the shofar blowing do you sit with your family uh, do you um, um, All kinds of... Do you celebrate only the first day, also the second day? So we had all kinds of questions for Rosh Hashanah and then some Gdalia and Yom Kippur, etc. And life cycle questions, Bar Mitzvah, Bat Mitzvah, Brit, um, many questions about Shabbat, of course. What do you do on Shabbat? Do you drive? Do you shop? Do you go to a synagogue? Do you have family dinner? Do you bless on the wine? Do you light candles? There are many things that people do here on Shabbat, some of which you will call traditional or religious in nature, and some of which are just, you know, it's a, it's a day off. So people do, do what people do on, on the day off. And we started looking at these questions, and, and, and what we initially got is a very long uh, um, list of Excel sheets with numbers. I have almost 2000 such sheets on my computer with just many many numbers of 3000 people answering 400 questions and then we trying to doing all the cross tabs between the different questions it's a long it's a long list of numbers but our goal was to take these numbers and try to draw a picture to tell a story about the society and what I'd like to do today is share with you some of our findings or some of the highlights uh, uh, of this uh, story, uh, the story in full, well, not in full, but a lot of it appears in our book. And we, we keep, uh, keep looking at this data uh, time and again and find even more stories within it. So that's the book. Do you all know Srulik? Oh, yeah. You know Srulik. We had when when we decided to do an English, uh, we did a, an English version. Uh, we had we had many debates whether to use Srulek on the English edition because he's well known in Israel. We weren't sure if he's known abroad. He isn't, but, but ultimately we decided to go with it, uh, in the hope that some people will learn about Srulek. Uh, there is a whole page about him at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the. Of the, uh, of the book so people can educate themselves, but why Srulik? Why did we pick him as the figure on the cover? It took me a long time of negotiation with, with the family of, uh, of Dosh, Kariel uh, Gerdosh, Dosh uh, 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 passed away many years ago. So it's, it's the family, his daughter and son, are, uh, who have the rights for, for this uh, character. This character represents the Jewish-Israeli of the early 50s, maybe also the 60s. This is what the early founders of the state thought that the Israeli Jew is going to look like or be like. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was very much down-to-earth, simple, um, attached to the land, but not much to his tradition. There's something very secular about him. And we thought that the, is- the Israeli Jew that we discovered in our study uh, very much shows that this Israeli is a feature of the past. As much as we love him, and we do, the Surilik of the 50s is no longer the typical... Israeli that we find here today. Of course, Shulik is Ashkenazi. That goes without saying. So Ashkenazi, secular, you know, maybe a person from a kibbutz. We, we know this person. This is no longer the person that uh, represents the typical Israel. Um, and and we, we decided to put this, you know, very familiar face on the cover because we thought it's a, it's a nice way to connect Israel, Israel's past and present. So, l- let me begin with some, just a few simple notes and numbers. These are things that some people are familiar with, but many people tend to forget. For example, when they read the newspapers, and the newspapers tell them a story about a huge fight between right and left in Israel. Well... <laughs> There can be a huge fight between an elephant and a mosquito. But this is what we have here. The left in Israel, the Jewish left in Israel, almost disappeared. Sometimes it can be vocal. It can be provocative. Oftentimes it might have important things to say about our reality. But we need to understand that when we look at political realities... In Israel today, Israel today is a country in which vast majority of people, again, this is Jews only. We investigated, we studied Jewish society in Israel. Arabs in Israel don't exactly play the same game of left and right. They see themselves as a separate political faction. For Jews in Israel, you see that about 60% of Jews... Is either right or center-right. That's reality. I'm not. I'm, I'm not uh, condemning or commending this development. But this is what we have, and we have about a quarter in the center, and the left is tiny. And if you combine the center-left plus the left, it is still very small. So again, if you pick up a newspaper, whether it's an Israeli newspaper. Or, even more likely, an American newspaper, and it tells you the story about the fight between right and left. Remember these numbers. There's no fight between right and left. There are many fights between right, center right, and center. The left, in most cases, is almost insignificant. More numbers. The typical division of Israeli society by a scale of religiosity used to be by four main categories. Secular, traditional, Dati, religious, and Haredi. These were the four categories used by most pollsters, pollsters for many years. Uh, a few years ago, some pollsters, and also the Bureau of Statistics, began to use five categories. We decided, we means uh, the Jewish People Policy Institute, even before this study, several years ago, we decided to have even more groups because in, we felt that Israeli society is becoming more, there are more and more gray areas between groups and we wanted as much variety as possible to allow people to choose their own place within this, uh, within this, this picture in a, in a more detailed fashion. So we have seven groups, and as you can see, about half of all Israelis are secular, but these secular Israelis are not at all the same. It seems like one group, but there are really two groups. The totally secular and the secular, somewhat traditional, are very different in the way they practice their Israeliness and their Jewishness. Very different. Oftentimes the secular, somewhat traditional, are much closer to the traditional and even to some of the religious practices than they are to the totally secular. So this is something to remember. And someday, I assume many of you know, uh, religious society in Israel is fracturing. There's a new book you might have heard about it by Yair Ettinger on the Zionist religious society in Israel. It's called Prumim, the opposite of *Srugim*. It's like a yarmulka that is uh, unravels. Yeah, unraveled. Uh, It's an interesting book. I'm his editor, so that's why I know about it. Um, But but as you can see here, if you look at religious society in Israel, you see that it's really fracturing. You have some people, not a huge percentage, by 5%, who say they are liberal religious. Religious, Dati. Uh, this is what they call in the media, Khardal. In our survey, we called it Dati Torani. Because uh, several experts told us that Khardal, uh, there, there are versions, or there are people who, who think that Khardal is a derogatory term. So we use the Togani to make it distinguished and there is Haredi. Uh, liberal religious these are people who say they you give them the option liberal religious and this is what they this is what they choose who are they these are people uh, um, who um are on the more liberal side of the Zionist religious spectrum okay we um you know, uh, uh, feminist Jerusalemites who go to uh, um, some some of the synagogues in Baka, to uh, egalitarian minions, they will define themselves as liberal religious. Okay. So this is Israeli society by religiosity. Um, we also gave Israelis the option, and this this we did mostly for the sake of comparisons, but, but it told us a few interesting things about Israel. We, we let Israelis define themselves by the streams. You know, this is what they do in America. In America, they don't use Dati and iloni. They ask mostly about the streams. So first of all, you see that the streams are not completely insignificant. The combined number of people who call themselves Reform. And conservative in Israel comes up to 13%. That's not a very small number. I do need to say, though, that most of these people... Well, we gave them both questionnaires. This one and that one. Most of the people who call themselves reform are also secular. Okay? Most of the people who call themselves conservative are... Secular, somewhat traditional, or traditional? How are you defining Israeli, uh, Jewish, Israeli born here, or citizens? or Jews who live in Israel. Yeah. Uh, but most of them will be citizens of Israel, but very few will not.
1: How did you pick the 3,000 people? How were they picked?
0: Well, I didn't pick them, who Camille did. did.
1: But how, but how were they- <laughs>
0: He's a pollster. I don't know. They have this magic machine which they call a computer, and and the, you know they do the numbers. And the same, since I trust him to tell me who's going to win the election, in the same way he does. He runs studies for uh, all for for medical research, for uh, uh, sociologists, for political purposes, and for all kinds of things. This is this is the. Uh, uh, unlike me, Camille is a serious person. He's professor of mathematics in, at Tel Aviv University, was the head of the School of Mathematics at Tel Aviv University, so I assume and hope he knows what he's doing, because I have no clue. <laughs> Reform conservative, the number of, the percent of, of people who call themselves orthodox in Israel is all, almost compatible with the number of people who call themselves either the or Haredi. We have about 32% of people who are the or Haredi, so there are few traditional who also say they are orthodox. But what you see here that for most Israelis, the whole question of streams is, is not really a question that they are interested in. Some of these are Americans, but not you don't have 13% of the Jewish population who, who came from America. Some of them are Americans. Many of them, many of them are, and, and this is we did many follow-up studies to understand these figures. As I said, most of these are secular, and when you go deeper, when you uh, uh, look deeper at the numbers, what you see is that these are secular Israelis. Who say they are reform to spite the Orthodox. This is, a poli- this is in many ways a political statement. It's secular Israelis who uh, um, connects with their Judaism through means that aren't Orthodox. They do not want to be seen as Orthodox. In many ways, saying you are reform is a, a counterculture type of statement. Of course, there are some people who go to uh, reform synagogues and are members of of uh, uh, reform communities, but 13% of the population is about eight, uh, 800,000 people. Okay, we know the numbers of people who actually are members of reform and conservative synagogues. It's about a tenth of it. So, so most of these people aren't active members of reform and conservative communities, these are Jews who who might have their their bar mitzvah their reform synagogue or conservative or might uh, uh, do their wedding with a conservative rabbi they, but mostly they, they dislike the orthodox. a very high percentage of them say there is religious coercion in Israel. Uh, many of them say that the institute they most dislike is the rabbinet? These are people who do not like the orthodox. I'm going to skip some of the numbers here. This is a, an even more uh, detailed, um, detailed... Okay. This will give you a partial answer of... Well, this is for show. Okay? To, to, to give you the impression that Camille knows what he's doing... This is, this is us using a statistical model to take all the numbers that we have and divide Israeli society into something from which we can draw a picture. Um, basically, what we did here is we made two, um, two axes: one for nationality and one for tradition. And we put together a list of questions that represent nationality, and a list of questions that represent tradition. And then we put in all the numbers and all the answers of the 3,000 people. And the darker the square, the more people are in it. So what you see here is a picture of Israeli society in in which most of society is on the upper right side, and the other groups are much smaller. What does it tell us? This is it. This is, you know, the the basic feature of our book, or the basic picture that we wanted to draw, it's, it's all here. When we look at Israeli Jewish society, and I know that we all hear the stories about a society that is divided and fractured and drawing apart and uh, that we are in a social crisis, etc. I beg to differ. I think Israeli-Jewish society is mostly a mainstream society that strives, most of it strives to reach a certain center. And this center is the upper right side, the people whom we call Jews-raelis in the English version of our book. In the Israeli version, Yehudim Israelim. Uh, not as convenient, but that's the way we do it. 55% of the Jewish population in Israel are people who can be defined by two features. They score above a certain level of practicing Jewish tradition, and they score about a certain level of practicing nationality. The other three groups, and you see that these are basically the same size 15, 13, and 17 percent are of people who are universalists, namely withdrawn from both tradition and nationality, of people whom we call Jews because they practice mostly tradition but not as much nationality. This is a group of mostly Ashkenazi Haredi. And the group of Israelis, this is the group of the struliks. Old Labour Party voters, this is where they are. Highly nationalistic, patriotic, but when it comes to Jewish tradition, they they don't do as much. This is a shrinking group. This is fairly stable, and this one is moving in that direction. Look at the... Look at the, uh, um, sorry, look here. You see that the Haredis, they're not here. They're over here. So they're moving, and we see it by, by generation. We see them moving towards more nationality. And we know, we know for a fact that Haredi society in Israel is becoming more national in its approach to life here to politics, to all things, they are becoming more nationals. And the more they become national, the more, the more they move rightwards towards where most of Israeli society uh, belongs. Now, um, what you see here is just an example. Okay? What, what are the questions that we use to determine such things? So, for example, if you make Kiddush on Shabbat on Friday night, you get a point for tradition. So it takes you up one point. If you say um, Israel should not be a Jewish state, it should be a, a, a state for all its citizens, you get one point minus four nationality. If you say you are January 1st, tomorrow is your real Rosh Hashanah, Again, minus one for tradition. if you say, uh, "Being a good Jew means serving in the IDF," which is, by the way, something that most Jews in Israel say, with one exception. Charedes. Yeah. Most Jews in Israel attribute Jewish um, value to serving in the IDF, even though the IDF, you know, it's a it's a civil, secular institution of, of the state. There are Jews serving in the IDF, there are Bedouins. But f- to most Jews in Israel, serving in the IDF is part of their Jewishness, not just part of their Israeliness. So if you say s- to serve in the IDF means being a good Jew, you get one point more for nationality, and that's how we... Uh, um, got to the point where we are. If you want to take this survey and find yourself on this map, if you have the book, you can uh, scan a QR code in the book. If you don't have the book, just go to uh, the website of JPPI, jppi jppi.org.il, and you can do it either in Hebrew or English. We have it in both, uh, both languages, so you can... You answer 36 or 40 questions and you press a button and it shows you the map and where you are compared to different groups. It's a it's a it's an interesting exercise. Don't do it now. <laughs> this is what you get after you 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 click on the on the, this is where the person who did it is here. It's just an example. And these are this this is Israeli society divided by by politics, but you can also look at it by uh, by ethnicity, by uh, by age groups, by religious affiliation, etc. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Four headlines. You know, we we will not have time to look at all the groups and all the details that we have in our study. So I try to give you a sense of, okay, what did we find? What are the main features, the main characteristics of Israeli Jewish society? And these are four things that I think must be mentioned. Number one, high level, I would even say very high level of confidence in Jewishness. I'll say it in a different way. The very old question that bothered Jews for dozens of generations and still bother them today in all other communities in the world, and that is the question that we call Jewish continuity. Will there be Jewish continuity? Is no longer a question for Israeli Jews. They are not bothered by this question at all. When we ask them, I'll show you later, but when we ask them questions about the coming generations of Israeli Jews, they basically shrug. What else is there? Of course they'll be Jewish. It is so obvious for people who live here that being Jewish and keeping some sense of Jewishness is what people do. This is, that's the way we live. This is what we do. There is no way for us to fear or imagine a different future. Of course, Iran might annihilate us tomorrow. We might all physically die. But in a cultural sense, we have no worries about The Jewishness of this place and this society. thats It's feature number one, and again, it's important because this is a break from a very long Jewish tradition, and this is a break from everything that happens in the Jewish world elsewhere. You cannot be a Jew in Australia and not worry about Jewish continuity. You cannot be a Jew in France and not worry about Jewish continuity. If you're a Jewish and you live here, you're not worried. You might be worried about other things, but not about this one. Number two, and this again brings me to the notion that Israeli society is not as fractured as we tend to think. There is a general agreement within this society that Judaism, Jewishness, is an important feature of life and of our culture. Now, we can have a thousand debates about what Judaism constitutes. Does it mean doing this or doing that, believing this or believing that? We do not agree on the details. And we are going to fight about these details for a very long time. But the general notion this is a Jewish state, this is a Jewish society, and this is what we want it to remain, it's basically an agreement. Of course, there are a few people on the margins who disagree. They, these people are usually much more vocal than they are numerous. Number three, this goes back to the question that I showed you about serving in the IDF as an expression of Jewishness, a manifestation of Jewishness. The way Jewish Israelis interpret Judaism is very national in its sense. They see it in many ways as a nationality. They uh, main features that they see as important are part of our national tradition again we can look at hanukkah what is how do we study here about hanukkah what is hanukkah about clearly in israel hanukkah is much more about the Maccabees beating the uh the uh, um the yeah then, then it is about the miracle of the uh, of the uh, temple yeah are you familiar with the very famous hebrew song nes lo karalanu pach shemen lo matzanu <laughs> oh, okay it, it captures it's a very secular song you know very israeli in the old sense of the in the 50s sense you know the the it's a it's a, um, it's the generation of people who rebelled Against Judaism and wanted to say clearly, this is not a. There was no miracle. It was us winning a battle. But I think it captures something that is still very much present in Israeli culture. We see Judaism and we think about us as a nation. And I'll show you some examples later. Uh, hopefully, uh, you'll you'll be convinced. Last point. High level of Jewish literacy in practice with emphasis on practice. Much more practice than literacy. Now, of course, high level. What is high level? High high compared to what? Compared to my expectations, to your expectations? No, compared to all other Jewish communities in the world. That's the only comparison I can make. It's high level... I'll tell you what what it means that it's high level and I'll show you a few numbers later. It means that when we go to Jewish Israelis and we ask them, do you practice any Judaism in your life? And some of them will say, no, we do nothing. And then we give them a list of 400 questions. (laughs) And they answer about 200 of them positively. Well, they do nothing, but they do go to a Seder, and they do dress up for Purim, and they do eat cheesecake on Shavuot, and uh, sometimes they dance with the Torah on uh, uh, Simchat Torah, and of course they dip apple in honey on Rosh Hashanah, and of course they had a bar mitzvah, because everybody does, so this doing nothing, well, it's not really nothing. I, uh, I often compare uh, this situation to a circus in which you know, there are the acrobats and there is a safety net. Very few Jews in Israel can fall below the safety net. There is an invisible safety net that Israel provides. This society provides people with a safety net and it ensures that they all do something. Because if you don't go to a Seder on Pesach, you will literally sit alone in the dark. There's nothing else to do. So so when we ask people about the Seder, 98% of Jewish Israelis tell us, yes, we go to a Seder. When we asked about a family meal on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, same number, 98% say, yes, we have a Family dinner on Rosh Hashanah Eve. Now, would all of them also say the blessings? No. Would all the people who celebrate the Seder read the whole, the entire Agada? No. But more, close to 60% will. And the rest of them will read parts of it. There are very few people who do not read the Haggadah at all. Some will just do a few parts, you know, the the highlights of the Agada, Manishtana and few other things, and then they'll have the meal. But they will have some kind of a Seder. So again, high level is in many ways a question of expectation, but it's much more so than we think. Oh, half of this society is secular? Yes, secular in the sense that they don't feel they, they do not abide by halachic rules. They don't follow the Shulchan Aruch. But this doesn't mean that they don't do or they don't practice Judaism. They practice a lot of Judaism without being without feeling that this is something that they must do or that they were commanded to do by anyone. Now a few examples. I'll skip this one. Okay. Yeah, so I'll begin with Hanukkah. I'll begin with Hanukkah, because Hanukkah is a way for me to show you how Israelis differ from, you know, the other large community that we have in the world, U.S. Jews. So if you ask Israeli Jews and U.S. Jews, what are the three most important holidays, most U.S. Jews will tell you Hanukkah is one of them, alongside Yom Kippur and Pesach in most cases. Most Israeli Jews will tell you it's not one of them. Because it's not. So clearly, U.S. Jews attribute more importance for the obvious reasons. You know, winter, holidays, etc. For the obvious reasons, U.S. Jews attribute more importance to Hanukkah than Israeli Jews. However, when you compare the number of people who light candles every night in Israel versus the United States, you see that the numbers reverse. Even though Israelis don't think Hanukkah is as important as the Jews of the United States uh, think it is, they still light more candles. (laughs) Again, why? Because this is what we do. There was a a group... uh, I I did this presentation before a group of executives from the Philadelphia Jewish Federation a few weeks ago. Uh, They came here and I showed them all the slides. And ultimately one of them said, okay, so so can you tell me in one sentence what is Israeli Judaism? And I thought for a moment and I said, yes, it's what we call life. (laughs) This is what we do. It's Hanukkah, we light candles. We don't have to think much about it. It's again in the book we, we we call it effortless Judaism. If you want to be more critical of it, you can say it's lazy Judaism. Yes, we are lazy. But since everybody else does this or that, this is what we we don't have to invest much thought or energy in you know debating what we are going to do for Shavuot. Okay, another, again, high level of practice. What does high level of practice mean? Does it mean all Israeli Jews light Shabbat candles? No, not all of them. But almost two-thirds of them do. Now remember, only one-third of Israelis are religious. This means that many non religious Israelis, traditional or secular, some are traditional Israelis, do light candles on Friday night compared to only one quarter of American Jews. Do you have a kosher home? I did not go into kitchens, I didn't check, I didn't ask for certificates. But when people tell me, yes, I do keep a kosher home, this means that this is what they want to do. Do they follow all the rules and do they follow all the exact detailed uh, commands of the rabbis? I'm not sure all of them do. But this is what they wish to do, to keep a kosher home. Two-thirds of Israelis. It's a huge number. I'll, I'll 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 tell you something. Um, some people consider it provocative, but I think it's it's telling. So so we have two thirds who keep a kosher, who, who keep kosher, generally speaking, which means one third does not. Thirty-five percent do not keep kosher. In a follow-up survey, we said, okay, kosher non-kosher. That's it's an interesting question. We got the answer. Let's let's have a more detailed response. We did this with several questions among which are uh, believing God. The first question was, do you believe or, or not? Yes or no question. And then, okay, we got the usual numbers, which are basically 80-20, 80-do, 20-don't. Then you say, okay, what does it mean? And we gave, instead of giving two options, yes and no, we gave six or seven options. Yes, I believe with, without any doubt, on the other side of the scale, I believe there is no God. And then we have, I believe there is God, but sometimes I have doubts. I want to believe there is God, but don't always succeed. I'm not sure if there is God. So, so we gave more detailed options, and you know, it got us some interesting answers. Anyway, going back to Koshwit, we did the same thing. So for the 35% who, who say they don't keep kosher, we asked a follow-up question. Do you eat pork? Okay, you don't, eat, you don't keep kosher. Do you eat pork? About a third of them said no. No, I don't think that's the reason. It, and it's not that difficult. Maybe, maybe in Jerusalem it's slightly more difficult. In Tel Aviv it's not at all difficult. And in most, in most uh, uh, cities in this country there are neighborhoods of mostly Russian immigrants in which it's very easy to find pork. The the 10% of Israelis, of the 35%, there are 25 who eat everything. But there is a fraction, 10% of Israelis who do not eat kosher and yet refrain from eating pork. That's Jewish tradition. That's Jewish tradition. I'm not saying it's halachic. I'm not saying it's keeping with the commandments. But this is keeping some symbol of Jewish tradition in their lives even though they do not bother to eat kosher or don't feel any need to eat kosher. No, they don't eat kosher, but for a reason. Maybe it's his, you know... For because of the memories of, from their parents or maybe it's because of uh, um, they know the history of the Jews with pork or maybe because they want to keep one symbol that connects them with other Jews for some reason, bizarre as it might be 10% of Jews in Israel do not eat kosher and yet do not eat pork it's an interesting, it's an interesting finding Okay, moving from... Where are you getting your American statistics from? These are mostly from the Pew uh, study. We got some from uh, other national studies or from combination of local studies, but most of the important numbers we got from Pew. Okay, so moving from practice to this combination of... Jewishness and Israeliness tradition and nationality I'm going back to the question of to be a good Jew is to serve in the IDF these are the numbers Okay, almost 70% say to be a good Jew is to serve in the IDF among seculars there is an even higher value that you can see here for some reason it's 72% I think And... What? Is to serve... Yeah, okay. So this is not... Disagree and agree. Okay? Agree with the statement. Dark, blue, disagree. Light, blue. And I also have a problem here with the numbers. But what you can see here is that the only group in which... Only a small minority agree with the statement is the group of Haredi Israelis. Here is another way to look at questions that combine these two features. Tradition and nationality. To be Jewish or to be a good Jew is to live in Israel. This is what most people here believe. When I show this to Jews in America, and I have such few such opportunities, they are taken aback by this fact. But that's that's the way it is. Most Jews in Israel believe that Jews who live here are Jewishly better than Jews who live elsewhere. Doesn't mean that living elsewhere, you're you are, you, are, you cannot be a good Jew anywhere else, but it means that living here gives you points for being a better Jew. Now, as you can see, the more the more um, um, religious, the the more uh, in the center people are, the more they think that. The two groups in which a majority does not agree with this statement, are Haredes, who see Judaism mostly as a religion and do not attribute such importance to living in Israel, and they're completely secular, of which many are detached from Jewish tradition and Jewish consciousness. <laughs> but when you begin with the the secular somewhat traditional, then the traditional, the liberal, the tea, and the Dati, you get a clear majority of people who say this is part of being a good Jew. This is about serving in the IDF. Here you have the, the numbers that I didn't have earlier for Haredes. It's 16% who agree and 84% who disagree. And look at the, this question. This question is politically uh, explosive. Mm-hmm. A majority of Jews in Israel believe that to be a good is to settle Eretz Israel Ashlema. Again, you can like it or dislike it, approve of it or disapprove of it. These are the numbers. A clear majority, not a huge majority, but a clear majority of Israelis say, this is Eretz Israel Ashlema is not about politics. It's not about being a stronger country it's a jewish value it's part of our it's not just part of our israeliness or part of us being right wing it's part of us being jewish it's a jewish value yeah it's not a kibbush of course no but 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 my point here is, is is more profound in in the minds of us israelis many of us These two items, Israeliness and Jewishness, became one and almost the same. We no longer differentiate between, oh, yes, I'm Jewish and I'm Israeli. No, I'm Jewish and Israeli, and it's basically the same thing. When we ask them questions such as, what does it mean to be good Jew? They'll say things that refer to their Israeliness. And when we do the opposite, you know, I'll give you one Troubling example. When we ask Jews question about Israeliness, to be a real Israeli, you need to be Jewish, a majority of them say yes. It's a very troubling answer. A quarter of citizens of the citizens in this country aren't Jewish. How can we say that to be a real Israeli, you need to be Jewish? Then again, this is what people feel and say here. And I don't think this is because of their ambition to exclude the Arabs. I think this is because they no longer see the difference. When I, um, I lived in the United States for several, uh, several years as a U.S. correspondent for an Israeli newspaper, for Arts. and when I, tr- when I moved there, um, you know, we we rented a house, and and my children were still fairly small. And I remember that on the first on or second week of the um, of of the school year, our children went to a public school, very very highly Jewish neighborhood, also with many Israelis in the suburbs of Washington D.C. And one of our children came back from school, and he said. I have a new Israeli friend from school. He said, oh, wonderful. Have him over. He said, yeah, he's coming tomorrow. And the next day, I don't remember the exact name, but this young kid came, and clearly he was not Israeli. He was Jewish. He was Jewish, a Jewish American. And in my child's mind... He, could not, he didn't understand the difference between, you know, being Jewish, being Israel. It was all the same for him. And back then, I thought as an adult that this is something that is unique to children. Now I know that it's not. That's the way we all think. Not in the same simplistic way as children do, but in some sense, we all confuse Jewishness and Israeliness and see it all as one culture that captures all of our essence or identity. These are no longer two separate features. Hmm? Yeah. Okay, more, more things that um, these are just numbers uh, that you can see here. So, features that make us that make this society move? Yom HaShoah. Well, is it an Israeli thing, a Jewish thing? I can tell you for sure that clearly a uh, large majority of Israelis, Jewish Israelis, feel sad on Yom HaShoah. This includes a large part of the Haredi community who officially do not accept Yom HaShoah as something that they practice. Nevertheless, we ask Haredis, do you stand when there's siren on Yom HaShoah? And you know that every year, if you look at the paper the next day, there'll there'll be a picture of some Haredi running down the street because he doesn't respect Yom HaShoah and there will be anger and acrimony. Four out of five Haredis say they stand when there is siren on Yom HaShoah. They respect the day. Many of them say they light a candle on Yom HaShoah. We see that we, we have a whole chapter on Haredi Society in the book, and, and the chapter begins with, with uh, the memory of the Holocaust and the meaning of Holocaust Memorial Day. And one of the things that we show in the chapter is that up until 20 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago, you would not see Haredis in Yad Vashem. They would not go there because this was a secular institution of the state. Nowadays, more and more groups of Haredis are going there. And if you go there in the time of Ben Azmanim, when there's no yeshiva studies, you'll see young Haredis going to Yad Vashem, to the museum, to different lectures. The it, hmm? And the, and the, vi- the right. This this is new. This is new. We, 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 um, you know, in the chapter we uh, we quote uh, studies from the past and 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 uh, statements made by Haredi leaders who say this is something, you know, don't go there. It's it's non kosher. But you see the movement from, it's a, it's a bottom-up movement of young Haredis who want to see Ad Vashem and who wish to respect Yom HaShoah even if they have some theological reservations about it. Of course, most Israelis travel in Israel. This is amazing. Okay? the torch lighting ceremony on Yom Atzma'ut. I find it the most boring <laughs> television show one can watch. And I say this even though my father for 35 years was the person who wrote the speeches for the people who light the torches. <laughs> he essentially invented the sentence Letif Medinat Israel," And and so, so as, a, as a child, I often got tickets to the, I was there. I was there many times. The fact that six, almost 60% of people say, we watch this on TV, first of all, it's a lie. Because we, co- we have the numbers from the, you know, we have the ratings numbers, and it's, a, it's high. It's about 30, 32%. It's very high, but it's not 60%. But again, what does it tell us? It tells us that Israelis want to say or want to think that this is what they do on Yom Hatz-Mah. They don't really do it every year, but this is their ideal. Yeah, what do you do on Yom HaTzmahot? Before you do anything else, you watch the torch lighting on Mount Herzl. It's an amazing number. Um, listening to mostly Israeli music, if you are familiar with the last decade or decade and a half of Israeli music. In Israeli music, you know, it, you see it everywhere. The, how Israeli music became the most Jewish thing one can find. It's it's filled with Jewish themes and Jewish texts. And my, my, my good friend, uh, Micha Goodman, um, always speaks about, you know, I'll, I'll borrow this this uh, example from him. He always talks about the, the song by Eud Banai, uh, who says, uh, Now think about the number of layers of meaning that you have here. First of all, it's a, it's a physical place. If you go to Tel Aviv, you can drive on the Halakha street and look for a Shalom street. <laughs> But then you have all the other all the other meanings that that only israelis who listen mostly to songs in hebrew and this is what the majority of us do only they can understand this is when you think about jewish israeli culture eldana is jewish israeli culture and it does not translate well when eldana goes abroad and sings to Non-Israeli Jews who do not speak Hebrew, they will they will, they cannot see the layers. They can they might enjoy the tune, or the accent, or whatever, but they cannot understand the full meaning of the text. And this is true for singers like, well, of course, all the banais, any shairi bo, m- many of this the most popular singers in Israel today you know they they look they take jewish texts and put music to them and you see i i see my my young my young kids some of which are fairly detached from daily jewish practice you know what um, i have i have four kids my daughter is uh, 12 and a half so she's still almost under control not fully under control but somewhat under control uh, i have a, a uh, an 18-year-old boy, he'll go to the military next year, in this coming summer. And I have two boys, one of which is in military service still. And the other one uh, was um, uh, di- discharged from the military exactly a month ago. He's now in Brazil. <laughs> and I see him and his friends. You know, these are North Tel Avivian Mostly secular young people who go out and drink and, and party and do what young people tend to do. And they will go to a rock concert and they will sing, you know, paragraphs from, from, from the Psalms. <laughs> and they will dance to the tune and they will sing words from, from the Torah. It, it, it's complete, completely awkward and yet completely within this, you know, feels, feels natural. It feels completely natural. And it's natural for them. It's natural for them to enjoy rock music based on ancient Hebrew texts, whether it's Ibn Gavirol or Yudah Levi, or or uh, 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 neviim or tehillim or whatever. Okay. This is just these are just numbers. I told you. People here say it's very important for them to be Jewish. It's even more important for them that their children will be Jewish. This is for you. Is it important for you that you are Jewish? Is it important for you that your children will be Jewish? So we see, look how small is the number of people who say not at all. Yeah, there are such few people, but this is not what people hear. Clearly, that's almost 90%, 85% of Jewish Israelis say it's either important or very important for them that they are Jewish and that their children. Will be Jewish, they have no interest. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give me a second. Uh, they have no interest in formulating Israeli culture in ways that will take it away from Jewishness. They might want to change some of the features, some of the ways we practice our Jewishness, but they have no interest in, ta- in, in changing Israel in a sense. That it will no longer be Jewish. Yes.
1: Can on the were chosen?
0: the response rate? The response rate was uh, uh, above ninety percent because of the way we conducted the study. And the uh and, and the sample that we have, it's a very large sample, and we have high confidence that this Represent that this is a representative sample of Israeli Jews. Now, also remember, and again, this is something that we also must take into account. This is not a political poll. It doesn't, I don't really care if we missed by a point. Oh, it's not 57% who light candles on Shabbat, it's 56%. Oh, I don't care. It, when you poll for election, this 1% might. Determine the outcome of the election. In most of these questions, we we don't see. It. We are well within the uh, the, uh, um, you know, the, the statistical rules of polling, are kept well kept, and, and we are confident that this is okay. All people who take surveys are interested in taking surveys. You cannot, you cannot force people to take surveys. You can convince them to take surveys and then make sure that you have enough people from each group. Again, we, one of the things that you do is that you insert into the study several questions that also appeared in other polls, including vast polls such as the ones of the Bureau of Statistics. And then you can compare... And you see if you're way off, you'll, you'll easily see it in the poll. If you're, if, if you're in line with other polls, in some of the demographic questions, you, you feel confident that you got the, the right uh, response. Um, okay, I already mentioned the high level of confidence that Jews here have when they... Okay okay, you'll kick me out. I don't care. I can go now if you want. <laughs> so, so this high level of confidence, it's not detached from reality. It's not, it's not that we are delusional. Oh, why are we so confident? Because we don't see things as they are. No, we do. We do. Almost all Israeli Jews, when they form families, they form their families with other Jews. We know that there are some people on the margins who don't. But generally speaking, Jews in Israel marry or form families with other Jews, unlike the situation in the United States. Again, that's the other large Jewish group. But if I would compare it to Hungarian Jews... Or uh, French Jews, or, or Jews in Argentinian Jews, the, the numbers will be similar or worse. It's, diff- it's better for Canadian Jews or British Jews. Um, do you have children? That's, a, that's something that people, again, tend to forget when they think about you know, all these questions of uh, continuity and assimilation. Will we have a future? Well, to have a future you need children. When more than half Israeli Jews have children and only a third of American Jews have children, you see the difference. And this this is before we asked about the number of children, because the number of children per Jewish female in Israel is 3.1. In the United States in 1.8. There's the difference. So if you marry or form families that are Jewish families, and you have children, then you can have confidence that the next generation will be Jewish. And indeed, when we ask people, are you completely convinced that your children will be Jewish? Do you assume that your grandchildren will be Jewish? You see that the numbers are high. And when we do this by a scale, okay, from one to ten, tell us your level of confidence that your children will be Jewish. You see that there is a majority of people who have no doubt. Not a shred of doubt. Ten, I would not say a ten. 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 That's that's for God. I don't give a ten to anything. How do I know that much? I have four children, can I be certain that all of them will remain? Well, most Jews in Israel, yeah, they have no doubt. And the ones who do have doubt usually say a nine or an eight. You see that the numbers here, these are just marginal numbers, 1%, 2%. There is no Group of people in Israel who think, who have this doubt, or will we have a next generation of Jews? Will, our children, will we have Jewish grandchildren? A question that if you're an American Jew, you must, and, and you are at least somewhat realistic, you must have some doubt. But if you live here again, it's like going to a Seder night. What else is there? Of course, they'll be Jewish. If you live here and you are born Jewish, you must be crazy to want to be anything else. This is what people do here. Yes? I'm surprised the number of people who have children in surveyed Israelis is as low as 53%. not be much higher. No, this includes people from <laughs> 18 to uh, 80. Okay, so is 18 to 25, 32, right? Th- yeah, to 30 well okay so here here we get into uh, okay. somewhat tricky it's it's a good question and the answer is somewhat tricky mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. here it, you begin to navigate this very Uh, treasures, waters of what, who is a Jew? Okay. Almost all Jews in Israel marry people that they consider to be Jewish. I'm not saying the rabbinate will always agree. But I don't care about the rabbinate. (laughs) Nor should you. (laughs) Just kidding. But I, I cannot tell you what to think about the rabbinet, but I can tell you for a fact that most Jews in Israel, they don't care about the rabbinet. This I know, not for a fact, but I, I'm almost certain. If my, my, my son, who's still in the military, is serving in the you know, a unit, uh, intelligence unit, if he meets a nice Russian girl who excels in mathematics in his unit of technological geeks and then decide and they decide to be together and one day when they want to get married the rabbinet will say "Oh we do not accept her." They say, okay well, whatever and he'll go someplace else and they'll marry someplace else. He will not let the rabbinet decide for him if she's Jewish or not. Only if she says she's not Jewish, he might have doubts. But if she says she's Jewish, why, why would we care about the rabbinate? Again, remember, there is a third of Israelis who are religious. They might care. Not always, but they might care. Most other Israelis, they don't go by halachic rules. They don't... They're. You should know that throughout the presentation, I, was, I kept saying tradition and not religion. Jewish tradition. Israeli Judaism is not about religion. It's about tradition. When people light candles on Hanukkah, they don't do it because of God, or because of Mount Sinai, or because of the Shulchan Aruch, or because it says so in the Talmud. They do it because this is their culture and their tradition. It's because this is what they did when they were growing up as kids and this is what everybody they know does and this is, this is their culture. It's, it's, it's enhanced this whole question of... of the, it's the question of non-Jewish Russians or Russians who might not be Jewish depends on whom you ask, who came to Israel. If they live here and they go to Jewish schools and they live in Jewish neighborhoods and they serve in the military. For most Israelis, these people are Jewish enough. Jewish enough. It's a it's a, again, this is something we, we are used to think about assimilation. In our Jewish consciousness, assimilation is a threat. Because we were always a minority among other people. We are no longer a minority. We are the majority. If there is a simulation in Israel, it's a simulation of people into our group, not out of our group. People might come here with you know, questionable Jewish roots and become Jewish. They're not growing up here and becoming non-Jewish. It makes no sense. If you don't want to be Jewish, you'll go someplace else. I think my time is up. Questions? Yeah. Um the confidence that I think the first sentence you have you have four conclusions at the outset that you mentioned, and you said the confidence of uh Yeah. It's, that's a very, that's a very important comment, and I'll, I'll, I'll emphasize it further. Israeli Judaism works in Israel. That's it. It's not transferable. You cannot do Israeli Judaism abroad, and we see it when we study Israelis abroad. It doesn't work. You cannot say, okay, I'll keep celebrating Yom Atzma. I'll, I'll tell you why. Part. I said earlier, part of Israeli Judaism, an essential part of it, is that it's easy. It's easy. Yeah, it's easy. So so I'll give you an example. If you... Okay, if you're Jewish and you live in Pensacola, Florida, and it's a week before Shavuot, and you don't care much for Shavuot, you can easily just do whatever you do, forgetting about the holy day, you will not even know that it came and went. If you're Jewish and you live in Israel, or even if you are not Jewish and you live in Israel, and you hate Shavuot, and you do everything within your power not to know about Shavuot, you're not going to escape Shavuot, because as soon as you turn on your TV a week before Shavuot, Nuva will push uh, cheesecakes up your throat, down your throat, sorry, yeah, and if you have children at school, you'll have to deal with the curse of the Israeli parent, Hatene, the Tene with the fruit that you have to send on the eve of Shavuot, exactly, so there is no escape, if you are, if you live in Israel, these are completely different circumstances. You are used to being Jewish when it's easy. But when you move to a place where it's difficult, you have no tools to deal with this new situation. The tools you have are the tools that can only be used in where it's easy. Yes. Yes. I had other questionnaires dealing with anti-Semitism abroad and I'll give you a a few pointers. One, and this is something, again, it's it's an important break from history. Most Israelis today no longer have anti-Semitism as part of their lives. They never encountered anti-Semitism. They they grow up in a Jewish majority society. They do not develop these sensitivities that Jews used to develop to detect anti-Semitism. We don't know how it feels. If you're born here, you don't know how it feels. That's one. Number two, generally speaking, Israelis think that all people who aren't Jewish are anti-Semitic. Well, not all, but, but many, many. And they believe that all Jews ought to come and live here. You, you, you feel... Look, we saw it just the other day when, when in the response of a Victor Lieberman to the, uh, to the uh, attack in, in Monsi. What did he say? He said, oh, there's anti-Semitism. They can all come here. That's the response of a mainstream patriotic Israeli. Anti Semitism? Of course. That's why we established this place to escape from anti Semitism. If you insist on staying there, you know, don't complain. <laughs> yes. Just kick me from behind when you want me to go. Your slide on, on political identification. Yeah. I understand that this is self-defining. People <coughs> determine for themselves where they... Five were. categories. So
1: is there a, a bumper sticker description of what each uh, category more or less would represent? Like you see that?
0: Right, wing <laughs> that. Right, right wing is
1: this. Uh, liberal...
0: Right wing is more traditional or religious more uh, Sephardic than Ashkenazi? Uh, politically, politically. On what question? Well, I think it was one of the early slides. No, no, I, I understand. But what does it represent in what, on, what, on what question? The right wants Netanyahu as prime minister. So the I left mean. doesn't. The right, <laughs> the right wants to expand settlements. The left doesn't. The center yeah. wants to expand most of the settlements, but not all of them. Okay? Jerusalem United, from here to here. Uh, s- settlement blocks, from here to here. Uh, Was that in the We have some of it in the Mechkar. Yes. So I, I have a
1: question. This isn't specific. It's is just an uh, example. But you said, so. If my son was going to marry somebody, you don't care, you know, whether Rabbi had accepts them or not, neither would he. But then you said, and even if she said she wasn't Jewish, maybe. Maybe that would make a difference. Right. So if that's the case, how are you defining the children being Jewish because you are saying 10 out of 10, you know, like 10 out of 10 know their kids are going to be Jewish, but if they – so how do you find Jewish because if they don't marry somebody Jewish – are they still
0: Jewish? What, do, what, what is their daily life look like? Do they go to a Jewish school? Their education, is it the Jewish school? It
1: doesn't matter. Do
0: they celebrate Hanukkah? <laughs> do they wear costumes in Purim? Do they say, I'm Jewish? Do they go up serving the IDF? Jewish enough for me.
1: Yeah? <laughs> if, if, I, I wonder what you think. If, uh, if Ben Gurion or somebody of this ilk Heard your lecture now or read your book? What would he think about what, like what to, like about what happened to about what happened
0: to Israel? What happened to Sule? I think know. I think on most things he'll be delighted.
1: Yeah.
0: It's wonderful. Yeah. We we achieved exactly what Zionism wanted to achieve. We have we have a place that is both modern, secular, liberal and Jewish, tribal, communal. Why why would he be displeased? Huh? Thank you all. It was a pleasure. I have a few books if anyone wants, but ke was echt Thank you for downloading this episode of Pardes Live and mini-series featuring Shmuel Rosner. For more digital content, please visit elmod.pardes.org.